Others accredit the penmanship to perhaps Luke or Mark. The truth of the matter is we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. In fact, in my Bible, at the beginning of Hebrews, it says the unknown author. Amen? Uh, one thing we do know is this man was heavily in the coffee industry. He brews. Y'all like that one. It didn't say she brews, he brews. I just thought I'd wake some of y'all up. Still caught up in the Holy Ghost shouting and dancing because of the music. Now that we all on the same page. Chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good works. Let us not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. All the more as we see the day, capital D, as we see that day approaching. Let me read verse 25 again. Let us not give up on meeting together. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I noticed you haven't been in church uh, the last couple of weeks. I'm glad you're here on this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, we're going to have a good time this morning. I can tell already. We're going to have a good church service this morning. So let us not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But why don't we encourage one another? Even the more, and particularly all the more, as we see the day approaching. Uh, would you stay in chapter 10? Why don't you skip down to verse 35? Skip down to verse 35. Hebrews 10, 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have a need of endurance. Your Bible might say patience, for you have need of patience. So after you've done the will of God, you can receive the promise. For after you've done the will of God, anybody want to do the will of God here on this morning? Anybody want to be found in the will of God? I don't want to be anywhere outside his will, all right? But after you've done the will of God, you can receive the promise. I want to talk this morning. In fact, I want to continue on the subject from last Sunday morning, seeing what my pastor sees, seeing what my pastor sees. Today will be part two, seeing what my pastor sees. Uh, today I want to talk about honoring God and fulfilling his will. Honoring God and fulfilling his will. One more time. Honoring God, all right, and fulfilling his will. Is that all right with everybody? Good. Please take your seats in the presence of the Lord. Honoring God and fulfilling his will. Seeing what my pastor sees. Seeing what my pastor sees. We've talked a lot about vision these past several weeks, and I won't have time to go down the review lane of all of the things we brought out about vision. We know it's important. We know it's influential, and we know it can make an impact. We know that a vision is a snapshot. A vision is a picture of the future of what can be and what must be. Today, I want to continue on uh, in the two-part message, seeing what my pastor sees. Now, uh, I, I need you to know this. I've been very uh, 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 unselfish. Uh, I've been very supportive and been very uh, encouraging of you. 
having a vision. I believe you should have a vision for your home, uh, uh, your family, your future, your business, your ministry, uh, whatever capacity you're, you are involved in. Uh, I think life can be a lot better, and you stand a chance to be more successful if you have a vision. Uh, nine out of ten times, the company you work for has a vision. It may be called a corporate statement. It might be called a mission statement. Some areas, it's just simply called the vision of this company. Uh, if the company, who makes millions and millions, if not billions of dollars, understands the importance of a vision, shouldn't you and I have a vision in our home uh, for our children, uh, in our marriage, our staff, uh, and the like? So vision is very important. No matter your age, no matter your tenure, no matter where you're at in the pecking order of life, if you're still breathing, if you still have blood running in your veins, if there's still air in your lungs, uh, I believe there's a need for vision. And so I've taught, and I've taught, and I've preached, and I've prayed that every one of you would have a vision. So as I bring closure today, I think it's important that you understand the vision of the church. We understand your vision, and you should have a vision statement. If not, you should be very close to finishing and finalizing your vision but I want to remind you that if you are attending this church, whether you are a member, a praying and prospective member, or maybe you're just visiting, okay, for all of our friends online today that are window shopping and someone told them about the church, they're not ready to come yet, but they will watch it on TV or on their laptop. I want them to know who we are, why we're here, and what we're called to do. In fact, I think those should be the three most important questions you ask when you attend the church, when you're considering joining or praying about joining a church. Who are we? Why are we here? And what are we called to do? Everybody okay so far? Once again, who are we? What are we called to do? And why, or excuse me, I'm sorry, where do I fit in? Pretty much the same thing. Now, every one of you all should have a handout today. I've made available handouts, and I think this handout's important because I think we can get traction from this handout beyond today. Ushers have extra handouts. If you just so happen to be sitting uh, there and don't have a five-by-seven very practical handout in your hand, just go ahead and raise your hand. One of the ushers will place a handout in your hand. I want you to have this handout. In fact, I'd like for you to go ahead and get a pen or a pencil, and I want you to fill out. I've got three, maybe four blank areas on the handout, and I hope it keeps you engaged in the message on today. I hope my attention, my objective is you stay involved and engaged and what I believe the Lord's saying from heaven concerning our church. Once again, who are we? Where are we headed? And let's just go ahead and be honest. Where do I fit in in all of this? Is there any room for me in this vision? Is the vision too big? Is it too small? Does it include my wife and I? Does it include my children? I'm a single parent. What are you doing for me? So where do I fit in? Now, uh, I have to do this because it's very important to me that you know uh, where I believe we're headed these next few weeks. I'm going to start a series of teachings on next week on the Holy Spirit. On the Holy Spirit. And I want you to hear me when I say this. Very important. The closest friend that you, the Christian believer, can have is the Holy Spirit. Hear me closely. I'm going to challenge your practical thinking for a moment. More important and more valuable than any personal human relationship on the earth, the Holy Spirit must become the most real and relevant friend, relevant friend a man or woman can have. I believe with all my heart 
that the Holy Spirit, hear me, please hear me, can be your greatest comforter, your greatest counsel, and your greatest guide. It has become my conviction and my confidence that one of the greatest advantages that you and I, the body of Christ, does not take advantage of is the Holy Spirit. We've left the Holy Spirit part of a triune Trinity theological conversation, and we do not bring him into our everyday lives. I promise you right now, nine out of ten of you in this room, what, I might be a little generous. I might be a little too conservative. I, I, would, I would guess that three out of four people in this room cannot articulate the person, the purpose, the plan of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can't talk about the power of the Holy Ghost. And we might even be able to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit because that's what our culture is used to. But can we talk about the person of the Holy Ghost in our room, in our homes, on our jobs, in our community? Can we talk about, see, here's what Jesus said about the Holy Ghost in John chapter 16. He simply says it this way. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine Jesus telling those 12 disciples that? It is actually to your benefit that I go back to heaven. He goes on to say, uh, for if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit, the word here uses paraclete or helper. The helper will not come to you. But if I depart, Jesus says, I will send the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. I will send the comforter. There is a huge expectation in heaven that God sent the third person or the Trinity triune Godhead to the earth. Jesus walked with the disciples. The Holy Spirit walks in the disciples. Okay? For 33 years, they saw Jesus, who was all God, by the way, yet all man who lived on the earth. And though he was tempted at all points, he yet knew no sin. Even Jesus said, you're going to be better off if I head out of here and send the Holy Ghost. Everybody okay so far? Now, I'm probing you while you're listening to me. For a lot of us, the Holy Ghost ain't nothing but a, a quickening, an unctioning, a jerking, a, a tongue, a feel-good experience that we bottle up, keep in church on Sundays, and we won't open that bottle again until next Sunday morning. And we're missing out on the greatest advantage God ever gave to man. So we're going to dive into this. We'll look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, Holy Spirit in the New Testament, Holy Spirit today, Holy Spirit now. And we'll just have this really, really robust, comprehensive Thursday night's Sunday morning discussion about the Holy Ghost. You need to know he should become your closest friend. One last promo on this introduction. He should become closer than the person sitting next to you on the row you're sitting on. Come on, say, I need the Holy Ghost. Come on, say, I need the Holy Spirit. I know you, have, I know you desire a greater prayer life. I know you want to enjoy the intimacies of praise and in worship, and some of you all want a greater, insightful, more, more effective Bible study when you spend time in the Word of God. Maybe you're looking for more boldness and courage to accurately be a witness for your Jesus. The Holy Spirit can help you in every area of your spiritual life. Amen? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 just for a few moments on today. Uh, three questions. Can you all help me out with those three questions again? What are those three questions again? Number one. Number two, number three, again, these are three highly important questions 
uh, everyone should have when you are a member of a church, you're an active participant of a church, or maybe you are a praying and prospective attendee of a church. University City Church, number one, who are we? Here's who we are. Uh, and I'm giving an account, by the way, for the UCC. We are an innovative church with a very comprehensive vision. Our vision is real simple, and it's purpose. We are called to love God. Watch this. I'm going to make a change here. We're called to love people, all right? And number three, we're called to serve the world. Once again, we're called to love God. Number two, love people and serve the world. Now, I'm going to tell you why I'm changing that up for the future. I believe when we love one another, that sounds really inclusive. So all we got to do is get along with the folks sitting on our row in our section, and we're going to heaven. But what about loving folk who hate us? What about loving our enemies, as Jesus would say? What about loving those who are real funky at times and, and get on your last nerve? Do you still love them with an unconditional love? All right, so we're called to love God, but we're also called to love people. And we'll make that distinction in the very near future. We're called to serve the world. The fulfillment of vision is strategic. It is sound, simple. And once again, I hope our vision is very hands-on. I want it to be relevant, all right? Uh, I believe we're known for practical teaching. Preaching. I think our praise and worship, our mass choir, our music is a tremendous asset, particularly for our culture of reaching folk in our community, in our city, and in our world. Um, ongoing outreaches. There are no outreaches in our city that are comparable to ours. I believe in our outreach services. I believe in our ministry to the world, even our global missions. We believe heavily and the value of city life groups, small groups, as our church continually grows, as we continually involve. I don't want you lost in the shuffle. I don't want you to feel like you're in a big church and no one knows you and no one cares about you. So we intentionally want to grow big by intentionally growing small. So when you join this church, in fact, there are a lot of our small groups you don't have to be a member of. Just join the group and let someone care for you, share with you, and be there for you. I see the value of city life groups every day of the week in our church. When I can't presently be available, when some of our elders or pastors or church mothers or leaders can't readily be available, guess what? You're available for one another. And you know what? Truthfully, when the need is met in your life, who cares what the title was? I mean, when Jesus gets the glory, who cares who got the credit? And I see that every day in our church. So we're called to love God. Love people, serve one another. Listen, on your outlines, and I know for some of you all this will be very redundant, but you got to understand there's a lot of new people who come to our church. And I'm learning sometimes even the hard way during our new members' classes. It, this right here, y'all, is easy to do. For me, it's easy to do. Let me tell you what's a struggle. Sometimes sitting in our new believers' classes with people who've never grown up in church. When I had that Bible study on Tuesday nights in Huntersville, having the opportunity to sit down with people who don't have a church background. And they want to know, talk to me of what this trinity is. Explain to me the difference between God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost. If you're saved today, do you have to get saved again next week? I mean, there are very simple but yet authentic questions that there are a lot of folk who just don't know. And so we never can take for granted that everybody grew up in the church and everyone knows all that there is to know about the gospel. All right? So let's talk about the church real quick. Would you fill in the blank here? I want to give you a real clean and crisp definition for the church. I've been using this definition for over 20 years. Here we go. The church is an assembly of believers. You may not agree with me on this one. You may not like it, but I believe the true church is an assembly of believers. That doesn't mean you're a believer coming in. You may be an unbeliever coming into the church. You may be a heathen coming into the church. And by the way, we're, we love all our heathens here. <laughs> We love all of our sinners in the church, amen. Paul says, well, chief, I am one among them. 
So we're here and we're welcoming and we're open. We want you to come in. But make no mistake about it, what makes the church different from any other institution in the world is we are a gathering, an assembly, a body of believers. All right? Now, real quick, we are an assembly of believers who have united our lives together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And here's the whole kit and caboodle, to execute his plans. Not the deacon's plans, not the trustees' committee's plans, not the pastor's plans, but our goal is to execute the plan that comes from heaven. Last Sunday, we talked a little bit about Matthew chapter 16. You all remember Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and he gets ahead won't prevail. You all remember that, don't you? You also remember, I will give you the keys, not to the kingdom, but I'll give you keys of the kingdom. There were some things that God wants you and I on the earth to do because of the church. Now, I think for the most part, most of you all know what a church is, all right? Now, I won't have time to poll you, but it's more than steeples. It's stained glass windows. Everybody okay so far? A church is more than a facility. Would you agree? A church is more than a place where people have funeral home fans. Would you agree? Bingo, barbecues, and bazaars. The church has to be more than what most of us grew up traditionally thinking it was. The church is an assembly of people, an assembly of believers. Pastor Stevens, we got it, all right? You may be able to define a church, but I think what many of us are struggle with is we don't know what church membership is. And you know why we don't know what church membership is? Because no one ever told us what church membership was. No one ever took time to explain, what is my part? What's the buy-in? Where do I fit in with all of this? I, I want you to fill in the blank once again. Church membership can simply be defined as this, to live out your inward commitment to Christ through the serving and supporting of the vision of the local church. I want to help you out today. When you get in your water cooler circles tomorrow on the job, during your first break or your second break or your lunchtime, when you go out and do what you do at the gym or Zuma or whatever you do after work and go home before you get home and cook and clean and get ready for the next day, when people ask you, what are you all dealing with over there at UCC? What are you all talking about? Well, we're talking about what my pastor sees, the vision. Because it's something big and something bad and something awesome that God wants to do in our generation and in our life. But we're going back to the bare basics of ministry. So the church is an assembly of believers. Church membership is to live out our inward commitment. I think many of us score a 10 on the first definition, but we horribly score a 2 on the second definition. We understand what a church is, but we miserably fail when it comes to membership. Can I talk to you today? I'm not mad at you. I'm not fussing. I'm not angry. I've had a good night's sleep. All my favorite teams won this weekend. So I'm, I'm doing all right today. All right? But church membership is to live out your inward commitment. You say you're committed, and you are. And I believe you are. But how can we prove it? Are you supporting and serving the vision of the local assembly? Everybody okay so far? Let's move real quick here. I, I talked about keys of the kingdom last Sunday. If you remember... Not only did God say, I'm going to build a church to Peter, which, by the way, became the first pope or the first bishop or the first true leader in the patristic period in the first century church. So that prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus' promise and expectations was fulfilled. But not only did he build a church on Peter, but he gave Peter access. I believe that when you are involved in a church, please hear me when I say this. Please hear me when I say this. No matter your title, your position, how long you've been in the church, I believe when you are involved in a local church, God gives you not only special access, but there's spiritual access. Stay with me. Okay, this is no hype. This is no hustle. Not trying to find something off of Google or Expedia to, to, to make you feel good. But when you are committed to a house of God, there has to be promises. 
There has to be benefits. There has to be blessings. How do I know? Because the devil fights it so much. And I've learned over the years, whatever the devil's fighting, so look at opposite. Look at the contrary. And pretty much you'll see what God wants you to become and God wants you to do. Now, he didn't fight us going to the games. He didn't fight you going to see Spectra, James Bond. He didn't fight you when he goes to going to parties and gatherings and all these other events. He only fights you on Sunday morning when it's time to go to church. Why y'all won't say amen to me in the back? Hmm? We don't press our way to a, to a social event. We don't press our way to a, uh, an activity. But we do press our way to church on Sunday mornings. <laughs> the Bible says this, Psalm 92. Those who are planted in the house of God. Those who are planted. It's not belittle the word planted. Those who are firmly fixed and established in the local church shall flourish so succeed, shall achieve in the courts or in the fields or in, in, in everyday life. There's something special about serving and supporting the vision of the local church. Are you still with me? Everybody okay? If, you, if you're okay, just say amen. amen. All right. I think we're all right so far. I want to teach you today. I want to talk to you about the value of the local church. Uh, here's some special access or spiritual access you can count on. Number one, there will always be unlimited authority, unlimited authority. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the keys, access, not only to the kingdom, but once you come into the kingdom of God, there's going to be all type of open rooms, open doors, many dimensions you'll be able to go into. Number two, there's unlimited ability, unlimited ability. Bible says, John chapter one, that Jesus went into his own, all right, and his own received him not. But watch this. But to many who did receive him, he gave them something special. He gave them something spiritual. He gave them something awesome. He gave them the right or the dunamis or the power or the authority to become sons and daughters of God. John 1 verse 11. Uh, thirdly, he gives unlimited anointing. We know in Acts 10, 38, God, the Bible says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Man, I wish I could stop right there and teach on that, but I'll have to say that the next week. God anointed Jesus with two things. He anointed Jesus, John chapter 10, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 10, with the Holy Spirit and with power. And here's what happens. He went about doing good, and here's what Jesus did. He healed, all right, all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the anointing has some type of characteristics. Let's not stop there. Uh, write down 2 Corinthians 1.21. Now he, capital H, now it is God who established us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us. He has anointed us. Paul says to the church, the same Jesus who laid hands on the sick, and they recovered. The same Jesus who ministered to the poor, clothed the naked, fed the hungry. The same Jesus who was able to withstand from sin. And though he was tempted like every other man in the room, he somehow had the strength and the conviction not to fall. This same Jesus, who we see miracles, signs, and wonders, the very God who anointed him, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he's also anointed you. Can you work with me today? So what does that say? We ought to be in the ministry of healing. We should be in the ministry of deliverance. We should be in the ministry of miracles. We should be in the ministry of helps. We should be in the ministry of making a difference and an impact in our world and in our generation. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, number one, we've answered the question, who are we? We're not a perfect church, by the way. 
I said last Sunday we started uh, 21 years ago uh, in a small house right across the street from Piedmont Open Middle School. We stayed there for a few months and ended up moving over to East, uh, I'm sorry, First Ward Elementary School. We started in a dance studio and, and grew from there and went to a gym and grew from there. And we bought some acreage in Old Concord Road and built the first facility uh, with a bond program, I might add. Three years later, we built a second facility, multiples of millions of dollars between the two with another bond program, I might add. And we just kept building and building and building, got to a point we just ran out of room and space and cars were being turned away and, 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 and we we're running three morning services. Y'all struggling with one service now. Huh? Uh, eight years ago, we had three services. And on first Sunday, it was four services. You would get tired watching me preach. And if you got tired watching me preach, you know how I was on Monday mornings, right? But God sustained and God blessed. We moved over here for, for a temporary, and I remember one of the old bishops telling me years ago, son, sometimes you have to build in phases. Sometimes you have to build in phases. I didn't really appreciate nor understand that way back then. But now I understand. Now I understand. And so we're still trying to accommodate and, and, and monitor the growth of our ministry. And it has not been easy, I would add. It has not been easy. But we're moving forward. We're trusting the process. And I am flat-footed by faith, declaring to every one of you all today that the place we sit is not our end destination. It's been good. It's worked. But it's not our final home. I want you to tell your children and your grandchildren that this is the Lord's house. Mommy and daddy and grandpa and grandpa, grandma helped serve and support and build this beautiful church that we call home of UCC. But uh, can I let you know on a secret? The place we're in right now ain't our final home. I'm trusting the process. I'm hearing the Holy Ghost whisper in my ear that my delays are not my denials. Because, see, good things come to those that wait. After you've done the will of God... There's a need of patience. And if you can sustain the patience, would you all pray for Pastor Stephen to be patient? Come on. Matter of fact, just go ahead and stretch your hands towards me and say, man, help him to be patient. I receive it in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, my. Well, if you all were on some conference calls that I've been on as of lately, man, mm, okay. Uh, where was I? I got distracted in my mind just that fast. All right. So, 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 so here we are. Won't be long. We've got a sharp team of men and women that are leading this process. We call it our strategy team. We've got some board elders, excuse me, some uh, board members that are highly intelligent, spirit-led. We're all on one page, and we're all trusting the process. We know that he that shall come will come and not tarry. We know that anything that is awesome and powerful of God has to be worth the wait. So I want to encourage you all, and this is my little deviation moment here to say to everyone in this room, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Let not your hearts be troubled. A little while longer, and some great things are going to happen. Every day, every week, we are pressing and working hard to have the best interest for our church in this season of transition and in this season of acquisition. All right, who are we? We've answered that question. Number two, what are we called to do? What are we called to do? Uh, let me real quick break down the vision one more time of the church, and then finally I want to answer the last question of the day, and then we'll close. Uh, if you look back at your handout, I want you to fill in this blank. The vision of UCC simply is this. We exist. It's another little wrinkle we're adding to the vision statement in the future. We exist to love God, love people, and serve the world. Uh, we demonstrate this through evangelism, education, and empowerment. 
I could probably go the next six weeks on that one vision statement alone. I won't have time to do it. I want to jump into the teachings on the Holy Spirit on Thursdays and on Sundays. But we exist. This is why we're here today. Make no mistake about it. We're called to love God. We're called to love people. We're called to serve the world. And here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to get it done. Evangelism, education, and empowerment. All right? Now, by the way, that's just not for the pastors and the elders. That's for everybody in the church. We are all called to disciple. We are all called to evangelize. We are all called to Christian education. We are all called to empower our community. I want to break that down just real quick for a moment. In fact, would you go to Matthew chapter 22? It won't take long. Go to Matthew chapter 22. And then what I want you to do is I want you to get to Matthew 22, but I also want you to put a finger in Matthew 28, all right? If, you ever, if someone ever asks you, where did the vision of UCC come from? Man, this is going to impress them. I mean, this is going to blow their mind. Because it didn't come from the third heavens. It didn't come from the seventh heaven. It really came from the bare basis of Scripture. We took what's called and considered the great commandments, and then we took the great commission. We put them together and said, hey, thing like, thing like to me, that's what we ought to be doing. And so we simplified it so everybody in the church, including our children, can know on any given day what we're called to do. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. Let's go to Matthew 22 real quick. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus said unto him, uh, and by the way, they had asked the question, hey, at the end of the day, we got these Ten Commandments. You all have seen uh, the movie Ten Commandments, all right? Uh, you, you grew up in a school back in the day where they had the Ten Commandments on a post on the wall, uh, although we don't see that today. But nevertheless, uh, uh, some hotshot came to Jesus and said, hey, at the end of the day, what are, what's the greatest commandments of all? And he said, here are the two greatest commandments. Bible says, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now, this is the first and the great commandment. The second goes like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Tell your neighbor, I love you, neighbor. I love you real good. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't talking about the neighbor sitting on your row in the church. We brought that dynamic in in the 1980s and 90s. Tell your neighbor that, tell your neighbor that, tell your neighbor that. Sometimes I get tired of talking to my neighbors. But, and I, and I'm, I'm very conscious, by the way, because when I go to other church services, Oh, gosh, man, you ain't got nothing to say tonight, but tell your neighbor this, tell your neighbor that, slap your neighbor, hit your neighbor, bump your neighbor, leave me alone. So I am conscious, by the way, you may not realize that, but I may do it twice, maybe three times in a Sunday, but I go to churches where they do it three times every other minute, and it's boring, it's distracting, it's weak. That's a whole other message. All right. So, so, so you should love God, which is the first commandment and the greatest. The second is you should love your neighbor, even the one that you don't speak to in your community. Even the one who has a problem with the way you do what you do on your job. Love your neighbor. So we find out also in chapter 28, I'm almost there, uh, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on the earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even, even to the end of the age. Now, if, if, you, if you have any type of church background, and maybe you don't, and that's okay here at UCC, but for most of us, we know that this is considered the Great Commission. So let's put those two together. In Matthew 22, there's the Great Commandments. In Matthew 28, there's the Great Commission. When you put them together, it really makes for a solid vision statement. Love God. Come on, say that with me. Love God. Come on, love people and serve the world. The first two commandments is to love God, love people. The, 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 the Great Commission, or the last part of the vision statement, is to go serve the world. 
Uh, you don't have to turn to Matthew 9 for the sake of time, but let me read it to you. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went throughout all of the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news and healing disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. In fact, he says they were just like sheep who had no shepherd. And he said to the church, his disciples, he says, you know what? The harvest is plentiful, but it is the laborers or the workers that are few. Therefore, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest field. I said something a minute ago. I want to say it again. The work of ministry should not just be for pastors, elders, and ministers, and missionaries, and church mothers. The work of the ministry ought not just be for board members, trustee members, deacons, and, 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 and hospitality, and, and hosts. Everyone buys in to the vision of the local house. And I'll talk about that in a moment. So whether you are the oldest member, the youngest member, the richest member, the poorest member, the heaviest member, the lightest weight member, doesn't matter who you are in the church. We all have bought in to serving and supporting the vision of the house. Jesus won about teaching, preaching, and healing. I like to call that the threefold purpose of Jesus' ministry. If that was his priority, and if that was his agenda, shouldn't that be the church's agenda today? Shouldn't that be what we ought to be in the business of doing? We got churches involved in all type of community and all type of social and civil and political and all these agendas. It seems like we're doing everything but what Jesus did. Because when there's true teaching, when there's true preaching, when there's true healing, those other things will come into play. Those other things can come to pass. Let's move forward real quick. I talked a little bit about evangelism. Now, notice the vision statement now. We're twist, excuse me, I'm sorry. We're tweaking, okay? We are tweaking and we're accenting the vision statement for 2016 and beyond. We exist. If someone have asked you, why are you here? Here's why we exist. Love God, love people, serve the world. Well, how is that going to be done? Just by going to church on Sundays and clapping and shouting and hollering and speaking in tongues? No. Well, how's that going to be done? Just by giving money on Sundays? No. Well, how's that going to be done? By campaigns and, 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 and bazaars and all type of activities in the community? No. Here's how it's going to get done. Number one, evangelism. He went about teaching and preaching. Sounds like evangelism to me. Number two, education. I believe that you ought to be God's sharpest knives in the draw. I believe that God's people, hear me, God's Christian believers should be the sharpest believers. In fact, you should be the sharpest people in the community. Whew. Wow. I thought I'd going to get a little bit more support on that statement. Please don't take me back to last Sunday's message. I don't want to go back to last Sunday, but if you don't say, man, I'm going to have to go back to Sunday's message. You all remember Sunday? I made a statement sometimes the craziest folk is in the church. Sometimes. And, and I'm going to be very, I'll be very, you know, be very, very candid when I say this. The statement I made last Sunday, and I stand by it to this day, sometimes the most... I'm trying to find a, a very educated way to say this, but I can't because I'm tired. Sometimes the craziest people in the community are Christians without a church home. That's what I said Sunday. Not Christians in the church. In fact, it's Christians who don't want to be a member of nobody's church. Nine out of ten times, usually. Now, I'm not talking about people in transition. They move from a city to another city. It takes two weeks, three weeks, maybe six months to really pray about joining a church and where God wants them to be. We're not talking about those type of folks. We're not talking about people who go through a split and things happen and, unfortunately, things, people are hurting and that they have to regroup themselves. I'm talking about crazy cuckoos in the church who've been around a long time. They're church junkies. 
They're church conference junkies. They're spiritual grasshoppers who hop from church to church and place to place. Who's ever feeding on the weekend? Whoever flirting on the weekends, is that where they're going to go? Prophet so-and-so in town, we're going to go over here, Prophet so-and-so. They got free fish on Friday nights over there. We're going to go over there next. Well, you know, someone going to pay your light bill every other week. We're going to go over there next. You know, someone's in. Uh, uh, and so there's never an establishment or never rootedness. And so they eat from everybody's table. And you can't have a good diet and nutrition when you're eating from everybody's table. All right? Now, again, you can't pull that stunt in the corporate world where you work at. You won't pull that stunt when it comes to paying your mortgage or your car note, but only in the church can you want all of the benefits, all of the blessings, but have no membership, have no investment, have no involvement. Now, that would be a really good place to say amen, clap your hands, do something, do something, all right? And it took me a long time to come to that final conclusion that when people, particularly Christians, who are not rooted, who are in family, who are gathered, accountable, responsible in the church, man, they are loose cannons. Ain't no telling what's going to come out their mouth next. And you know what? Some of you know somebody just like that right as I'm speaking. Let me get back on target here. So, 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 so we're called to educate. Teaching ministry, Sunday school, school of ministry, the Bible college, leadership institute. These are wonderful things that are happening and, and or things that we want to make even better as we bring them back into the fray of ministry. And then finally, we're called in power. I don't know if there's any value in, in education and evangelism if we can't empower you. We want you to go out and duplicate yourselves. Go out and fulfill God's great commission and great commandments on your life. We want you now to be in the driver's seat. And you go to the world with missions. You go to the projects with ministry. You go to the educational realm, the media realm, the sports realm, the, 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 the corporate realm. You go out and become somebody great in Jesus and in his kingdom. Evangelism, education, and empowerment. Last question I'll answer before we close is, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? I, I saved that one for the last because I think at the end of the day, that's probably what the majority of people in this room want to know the most. Okay, I buy off on the vision. Cool. All right, I got it. I see what we're called to do. Great. But I think the, 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 the pulse, I think the, the breath of everyone in this room wants to know, where do I fit in? And maybe I ought to just give this disclaimer here and say this. You may not fit in here at UCC. I want you to. Be glad to be your pastor. Be glad for you to have a great church family. But maybe at the end of the day, let me just be very honest, we're not the only game in town. A lot of great churches, great pastors, great visions, great buildings, great locations and facilities. But all that don't mean a hill of beans if you're not committed to a local church. If you're in a church but you're not faithfully active, you're just going through the motions. And you wonder why you keep hitting this glass ceiling. You wonder why there's this corporate veil that keeps you from going forward in everyday life. It very well could be your commitment to the local church. It very well could be your support and your serving of the vision of the local house. I don't know if you can separate the two. There's something greater on the earth than you just making money. There's something greater on the earth than you attaining another post-bachelor degree. There's something greater on the earth than you just getting some of your objectives fulfilled. I believe that we, as the Bible says, are pilgrims passing through. This earth is not our final destination. All of our successes, whether it be money, school, family, all of our great successes on the earth, and they're good, and we should celebrate every one of them as we celebrate our veterans on today. And we believe in celebrating people in our church. But all of that in and of itself cannot be the final 
objective for you and I, the Christian believer. For this world is not our home. I know we love sports, and I do too. And I want to see all my kids graduate and get married and live happily ever after. But I got to remind myself that this world is not our final destination. Oh, I'd love to see the Panthers go back to the Super Bowl, but I would. And I'd love to see this, that, and the other happen too. But I got to remember, the Bible says that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is appointed man wants to die, and then there's going to be a judgment. I know we are attached to the joys of this world. But I'd like for you to help me and remind yourself this world is not our home. And not only is it not our home, this world is not our best friend. I know you got your boys. I know you got your girls. And I know y'all hang out and y'all do y'all stuff and y'all do y'all thing. And, oh, I just love all these folks. I hang out. Let me tell you something. This world is not your friend. I won't have time to dig into that conversation, but even the Bible reminds us that we are not to have enmity or the em, uh, uh, sons, excuse me, as Christians, there ought not to be enmity with, 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 with the world. How can two walk together except they agree? Hmm? How can two walk and not be unequally yoked? And again, I know we're involved and we're in this world. Uh, somebody said, oh, we're in the world but not of the world. That sounds good, but we really, I'd have to help you with scripture on that one. We are called into this world to be a light a beacon, a hope, to be a blessing. We were never called to blend in, all right, be dumbed down, and never make a difference. I, I wish I could stay there, but I really can't. I got to answer this last question. We're finished, all right? So where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? I asked last week, or we introduced three questions that every member, prospective member, praying member, want to be a member, should have. For every question, let me give you three commitments that I think you and I can do today to honor God and to fulfill his will. I'll say that again. Three commitments that will honor God and fulfill his will. When you go back to Hebrews 10.25, here's what the author of Hebrew gets to the heart of. Let us not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another as we see the day of his return more approaching. May I submit this to every one of you as, as I prepare my closing? Never forget this one thing about the church. Bigger than brick and mortar, bigger than investments, bigger than positions and titles and all, even the splendor of glory that we feel on Sundays. I'm going to challenge your theology with this statement. What can be more greater than what we experience on Sundays? Here's what it is, that we're the body of Christ. We're family. We're family. We're 2015, but we're family. We're in a very, very anti-social, anti-family structured environment. With the rise of gangs, the rise of cliques, and all of the different superficial substitutes that we find ourselves looking for identity for and end, oftentimes many of that can be traced back to the point that we do not understand the value of family. We're fractured. We're fragmented. Many times we're bruised. We're hurt. Some of y'all don't realize this, but you have more tenure with people in this room than you have with your own family over the last 30 years. You may have moved to Charlotte because of a job offer. 
You may have moved to Mecklenburg County because of an opportunity to go to college. You may have come here because of whatever was going on in your past hometown. But God wanted to join you to a family greater than perhaps what we've ever experienced on the earth. I know they say blood thicker than water. All right, that's cool, and that sounds good for good times. All right? But the truth of the matter is, we are the body of Christ. We're the family of faith. I want to remind every one of us, the Bible reminds us in Ephesians 2.19, you are members of God's very own family. Can I say that again? Everybody okay so far? You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Once again, Ephesians 2.19, there it is. You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says this, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Won't have time to stay there long, but oftentimes I tell people that church membership really ain't your decision. It's really God's decision. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that he set, I think that's verse 18, he sets in the body whom he desires. So your responsibility is to hear from heaven. Your responsibility is to get a peace from God. But God, the Bible says, sets in the body whom he desires. See, he already, knows the, he already knows the makeup of a church and knows what that church needs. So he employs skill sets. He employs talents. He employs treasures. He moves one from California, another one up from Florida, one from out town or, in, or out, out uptown in uh, uh, the county. And, and he brings us together. And it's bigger than just filling a room. Stay with me. Stay with me. It's bigger than taking photo ops. There is a, a there is an effective objective that God has for the family. So you belong in the body of Christ, the family of God. Uh, Romans 12, we won't have time to go there, but just listen to this. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but think soberly. For God has dealt each one a measure of faith. For as many have members in one body, but all are Excuse me, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. I started this conversation last week. I think I'll finish it now. I've always read that scripture, and I've always had the full understanding that we all are many parts, but one body. We got it. We know that. We all are parts of the body of Christ. But it hit me like a ton of bricks last week when it said not only are we one body in Christ, but we are individual members of one another. My fulfillment to his body is dependent on my commitment to the man or woman sitting next to me. I may have to close there because you ain't saying nothing to me. The manifestation of my faith in the Lord. See, listen, first of all, like I said, most of us come from churches. The pastor never took time to talk about stuff like this. No one ever took time to rightfully divide the word of God on a very practical, relevant, I can take this home and apply it right now basis. Could it be, could it be that my ministry to the Lord, my existing in the local church, is most demonstrated and proven, not by my attendance, not by my money, but my responsibility and accountability one to another. Paul hits the nail on the head. We are all members. In the, uh, we are all one body in Christ. But he went on to say, let's go ahead and add this extra incentive. We're individually members of one another. So what happens if you won't allow someone to be accountable to you? 
What happens when you choose not to be responsible for the man or woman sitting next to you? We see this in the first part of the Bible in Genesis when the question is asked, am I my brother's keeper? You remember the story of Cain and Abel? Instead of blessing and covering and connecting and keeping his brother, Cain decides to kill his brother. And when God comes and visits him, he asks one simple question. Where's your brother at? He said, am I my brother's keeper? He said, the blood of your brother speaks from the earth. I'm wondering this morning before I close, is it the blood of our brothers and sisters that speak neglect for my irresponsibility in the church? I think we've got this all wrong. The Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. We've been shouting and dancing and doing a huckabuck and sliding and gliding and speaking in tongues and shouting and crying and hollering and spitting and climbing and all that stuff in the church. No one has sat us down and said, we are our brother's keeper. It's not enough to have your name on the rule book of a church. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life. Are we our brother's keepers? The challenge in 2015 is we are so busy building our own visions. We're so busy building our own mansions. We're so busy building our own kingdoms. We really don't have the time for the man and woman sitting next to us. I sat down with a group of folk this past week and said, you know what, maybe it's like the Lord to delay this acquisitions process. Not because of money and lending and loans, and we're still trying to make decisions with some of the options we've been given. We won't bite on high interest desperation. We've got some tough decisions we have to make, and we're waiting this process out. But maybe it's bigger than rates and dates and appraisals and inspections. It could very well be that God wants to do something in this room before he does something out there. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We're the body of Christ but we're also joined one to another. Again, this is where these men talk groups, small groups, serving in certain departments, everyone becomes family. So when, not if, but when the tough times of life come, and when they hit, and they will hit, you will not find yourselves by yourself desperate and alone. You're going to need somebody sitting on your row right now. You may not like them. You may not agree with them. You may not even know their name. But in this lifetime, if the Lord delay is coming, you're going to need somebody in this church to be there for you when you need it most. Clap your hands. Give God glory. Amen. My time is up. Let's stand to our feet. I'll pick this up on Thursday night.